Hello there, my friends, and welcome to the fourth and final episode where I am sharing with you, reading to you out of my book, Still Standing, How I Overcame Guilt, Shame, Hopelessness, Devastating Loss, and Paralyzing Fear. This is going to be the last part of my story portion of the book. I encourage you to get the book, Still Standing, you can find it at Amazon, and because then I will share the nine actions, which by the way, if you check into my new materials now, they're called the nine weapons of hope. And I'm actually bringing new aspects to it. Definitely some of the original and uh, just, you know, you learn and grow as time goes on. And so we're kind of reworking the nine actions into the nine weapons of hope. And so stay tuned to that, but know that in this book or even in my past book, Still Standing After All the Tears or those workbooks by the same name, the nine actions are still very, very relevant and you can absolutely use all those materials. They'll be very beneficial. So I'm going to continue and finish this part of my story, but I do encourage you to get resources that can help you to use the nine things that, that I've done to climb up, up off of that mat with my beast on top of me, throw him off, kick him out of my life, and in many ways become an even better person. So I am resuming here on page 84, and we are in section called Standing Up. Those words had been on my lips a hundred times, but I had never spoken them out loud until that day. It was the lowest point in my life, but the silver lining was that it scared me enough to move me into action. Somehow I had to find a way to stand up, if not for me, then for my son, Sean. He was losing his only sibling to addiction, and the self-destruction of his mother was in full swing. I didn't care much about myself at that point, but I was not going to allow Sean to lose his mom in this way. I did a great deal of praying and dug down deep for every bit of insight, knowledge, and wisdom I could recall from my five decades on planet Earth and put them to use. I decided to change my thinking and step out of the powerless world of victimhood. I was tired of riding the roller coaster from hell, but I'd been waiting for it to come to the next stop or for God to pluck me from my seat. Finally, I took responsibility for my circumstances, pulled the emergency brake, and got off the ride. I stood up on extremely wobbly legs and began to claw my way toward happiness. I wasn't sure if I would get there or where it was I was going, but I needed to be happy even for an hour at a time. I battled my way through heartache, desperation, and depression. I stood up and was knocked back down. I stared fear in the face, turned and ran, came back and took it on again and again. I fought my way out of shame, victimhood, and lack of faith. I declared war on my beast, no longer willing to stay in agreement with the lies. I decided to walk the rest of the way with God. I learned to forgive myself for the many things I have said or done that I'm not proud of, that I would have done differently had I been the person I am now. It has been an epic battle, but I vowed to do everything I could to be my best and to make the rest of my life matter, to never give up trying to do good, to make meaning from the madness that had become my world. Slowly, I got a little bit better. Then I got a little bit better than that. I kept getting stronger. I stumbled, dropped to my knees, and then stood back up. It was a long process, but eventually I built enough courage to keep standing most of the time. I documented what I was doing to become courageous and wrote my first book and began teaching others to stand, but the hits kept coming. 
Chips died while Jamie was in rehab. Although she adored him, she didn't even shed a tear when I told her. A couple of days later, she was kicked out of rehab, disappeared, and missed her grandfather's memorial service. Jamie's self-destruction was in process. We had two memorial services for Chips, and I was honored to deliver his eulogies to honor the man who chose to be my dad. Shiska, my 16-year-old cat, who helped me through so much, died, and I was heartbroken. He had renal failure, so I knew the end was near, but I needed him. He helped me through some of the hardest years of my life, and I adored that cat, and he adored me. Jamie would tell people, you know those commercials where a man and woman are running in slow motion through a field of flowers toward each other? That's Mom and Shiska. Just two months after Shiska died, we lost my mother-in-law, Emily. She was suffering from serious issues related to congestive heart failure, so we moved Emily from the San Francisco Bay Area to where we live in the Palm Springs area. My brother Rod, his wife Lynn, and my mom joined in our excitement to add another place setting to our family dinners. My mom and my mother-in-law were making plans to be neighbors. During the first two weeks Emily was here, she was in the hospital twice, the second time for a week. On that last hospital stay, a doctor told us she had 18 months to two years to live. She died two days later, leaving us shocked and heartbroken. A few short months after that, a friend whom we had done business with in Key Biscayne and considered family betrayed us by stealing a significant sum of money from us, never to be recovered. It set us back again financially and was another punch in the face emotionally. I was fighting hard to keep standing, but life seemed to be coming at me from every angle. Since I was teaching other people to stand, I had to get back up, grab my Nine Actions toolbox, and get back to work. The Home Invasion Two months after our friend betrayed us, I would get the news no parent can ever adequately prepare for, no matter how strong they become. On August 29, 2016, an officer from the coroner's office arrived to inform us that the night before, on August 28th, Jamie, who was barely over five feet tall and unarmed, had been shot multiple times and she did not survive. My daughter lived for 30 years, seven months, and four days. It was around 10 o'clock in the morning, the day the pretty blonde officer arrived. Rich got to the door first and stepped outside, shutting the door as I heard Jamie's name. I looked out my office window to see a white SUV parked in front of the house. So my first thought was that she was a bill collector. Something kept me from joining Rich on the front porch, but after a minute or so, I got up and went to look through the window next to the door. The young woman held a metal clipboard, the kind that opens up with a place to store papers, the type a bill collector might use. Then I saw it, the badge on her hip. I stepped onto the front porch and asked, not needing an answer, Jamie's dead, isn't she? Not wanting to deliver the news to Jamie's mother on the front porch, she asked if we could go inside. That was enough of an answer for me. I insisted she tell me right there on the porch. When she did, my knees collapsed and Rich grabbed me before I hit the ground. Inside the house, she asked me to sit so she could talk to me, but I couldn't sit down. I wrung my hands and paced the floor, echoing what I had said so many times the day in the garage, exactly 12 years and 12 days earlier. No, no, no. As if saying it over and over would somehow erase the reality. I finally sat down and took in the news. No matter where Jamie's life path had taken her, it was a shock to face the reality that she was never coming back. Neither the pain I experienced over losing Jamie repeatedly to the addiction beast, 
nor the loss of other loved ones prepared me to deal with the flood of grief that enveloped me. In an instant, my hope of having my daughter back clean and healthy was gone. I would never be the mother of the bride or have mother-daughter talks. I would never be a grandmother to Jamie's children. We would never tell our story together as we had talked about doing. A bunch of nevers came crashing in. I was devastated, and I was mad at God. I am one of the hardest working people I know, and I was working twice as hard as I ever have to keep standing, to making a, dis a difference. I was trying to have more faith and live in peace. I couldn't understand how God could allow this to happen to me. I was doing a good job keeping my beast at bay, and while he would knock on the door of my life often, I would recognize him and slam the door in his face before he had a chance to get in. That day, he didn't knock on my door. He crashed through without warning. It was a home invasion. I was right back on the mat with my beast on top of me, the guilt flooding in. I hadn't seen or spoken to Jamie in 18 months before her death. It wasn't that I was mad at her or had banned her from my life, but I had drawn a line in the sand for sanity's sake. I had to do it for my marriage and our safety. Still, I couldn't help but wonder if this was somehow my fault. For the second time, I imagined my daughter laying alone, lying alone in a pool of her own blood and tried to push the vision out of my mind. Jamie and I had an email exchange a few weeks before the murder. I told her we had a treatment plan that we would help her with when she was ready. Guilty thoughts invaded my mind. I should have been more insistent about the treatment plan. Maybe I could have reached out to her more. I should have tried harder to make her get clean. A better mom would have never allowed us to be separated that long, no matter what. My heart ached, and my brain was filled with couldas, wouldas, and shouldas. When my mom heard about Jamie's death, she fell apart, just as my reaction was to say no over and over. She kept saying, I can't do this. I assured her that I would help her get through it. No matter how devastated I was over the death of my daughter, I now had to be strong for my mom and others. A day or so after Jamie's murder, I was at another crossroads. Sean had his arms around me. How am I going to live without her, I said, without really expecting a reply. Because you have another child, Mom. That's how. His tone was not defensive or self-serving, but gentle and loving. He spoke with such conviction that I accepted it as truth. The dark road of ongoing grief was calling me, but Sean reminded me there was another road. I would call it new normal, and it would be bumpy, but I was not about to head back into the darkness. Rich had a younger brother growing up named Bradley. Yes, we both have little brothers named Bradley, who died when he was only 14 and Rich was 16 years old. One day he collapsed at school and never even made it to the hospital. Rich has a half-brother, Scott, from his dad's second marriage, who was much younger than Rich. They didn't see much of each other, so for Rich, when he lost Bradley, he felt like an only child overnight. Sean became an only child overnight when Jamie died. Over the years, Rich and Sean have bonded over many things more than the San Francisco 49ers, but the one they now share, having lost a sibling, is a bond that has brought them closer than ever. I spent years thinking Rich didn't like Jamie, when in reality, he just wanted the chaos to stop. Rich was devastated, too, when she died. He quietly framed a photo of Jamie and put it on his nightstand. He tends to Jamie's memorial palm, tree, and garden. When those moments of disbelief crash in, and I say, 
She's really dead. She's never coming back, which simply says, I know. He doesn't try to fix anything or tell me not to be sad. He hugs me or holds my hand. There were times when I wished Rich would ride in on a white horse and save me, but God knew I would need to save myself. He sent Rich to stand with me. Together we have spent more than two decades falling and standing back up. God sent me a rich man after all. It's how you finish. I wasn't born with a silver spoon in my mouth. It was more like plastic. My life may have started with fear, worry, and uncertainty, but I have learned it's not how you start that's important. It's how you finish. While I left out some of the scariest and most painful parts of my story, every detail is not necessary to illustrate the point that life is messy. While that is true, the invaluable lessons we learn are worth the mess. The strength and wisdom gained allows us to turn messes into messages. Every person will encounter many challenges on their trip through life. You come up against mean people, unfair situations, heartbreak, unmet expectations, loss of relationships, divorce, job or career change, death of loved ones, addiction, betrayal, health problems, financial challenges, and more. With a heart shattered into a million pieces and a dark cloud hanging over my heart, I decided to stand up and fight. I decided to stop making excuses, waiting for someone else or something else to change. I was done living in fear. It was time for me to gather up my tools and get to work on living a courageous life. I have come to believe that courage is more important than anything else. Okay, maybe not more than God or oxygen, but it's right up there with oxygen. Unforeseen circumstances will smack us over the head, but unless we dare to live courageously, we are left helpless, hopeless, and depressed, or trapped as a victim. Courage changes everything. It is incredible how our lowest points can also be some of the best places to land. The day I told Rich I didn't want to be here anymore was a pivotal moment for me. It is what propelled me into a courageous life when I thought all was lost. If not for living the nine actions, by the way, this part's not in the book, they're now called the nine weapons of hope that had become a part of my everyday life, there is no doubt in my mind that I would still be struggling to stand or would have dropped right back to the mat and stayed there. Instead, I stood up after Jamie's death, more determined than ever to make a difference. Jamie's legacy would not end with murder. Mine would not end with depression and fear. Anything worth having, doing, or being will take courage. It takes courage to be happy, hopeful, and to have faith. Courage is what we use to push ourselves to try something new, meet new people, or to walk away from destructive people or circumstances. It is courage that stands up when we feel like staying down. Courage sheds shame and gives up guilt. It is what we use to let go of the uncontrollable and to choose peace instead. Courage allows us to embrace the holes in our hearts and to overcome the losses. Courage is what we use to say yes to our purpose and to make the world a better place. Jamie's murderer was finally arrested nearly three years after her death. Now we wait patiently for the wheels of justice to turn at the very slow pace they move. As we face the probability of a murder trial, it's more important than ever for me to be courageous. On my journey to courage, there were plenty of moments when I wanted to quit on my life. There were times I wondered if I could keep going or if I even wanted to try, but I did keep going. 
I share my story and the nine actions, now called the nine weapons of hope, in hopes that you will build a life of courage and learn to stand through anything that comes your way. Courageous people are not quitters. We might alter our course, but we don't quit. In a million years, I couldn't have imagined living through even one of the many serious challenges life tossed my way, but I did, and I am still standing. Once you cross the courage line, there's no going back. Well, thank you so much for listening to the last four podcast episodes and up to page 95 in my book, Still Standing, How I Overcame Guilt, Shame, Hopelessness, Devastating Loss, and Paralyzing Fear. I hope you're on my mailing list. If not, go to ValerieSilvera.com and get on that um, email list, mailing list. Gee, what year am I in here? I said mailing list, <laughs> like it was 1982. On my email list so that you will be updated on everything that we are doing, everything that we are doing to disrupt trauma, the new Nine Weapons of Hope and the courses and all of the upcoming events and uh, exciting things that we have in the works for this coming year. And be sure also to join my Facebook group, The Trauma Disruptors. It could be a good use of your time to join The Trauma Disruptors and um, just get some insight and wisdom. Man, the people in there are so full of wisdom and encouragement and even build some friendships. So definitely do that. Again, go to ValerieSilvera.com and make sure that you are subscribed to this podcast. We have a bunch of stuff we're going to be doing with this podcast in the coming year too. Things are going to just keep getting better and better. And I'm doing everything I can to keep standing with you, supporting you, guiding you, and um, really just walking through this journey we call life together. Have an awesome day. And remember that your story matters. So live it courageously.